Okay, I'm excited for this topic. I think because for me, Iron Collective, the experience of the group, um, this was the area, striving versus trusting, that was the most impactful to me. Um, but one of the things uh, that was cool is, is sometimes we would stop and like question and interrogate a word. <laughs> and we'd say, wait, 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 like that's a word we throw around a lot. What does it actually mean? Or let's make sure we kind of have the proper context around it. So Gabe, I thought we could start here with maybe just defining the word faithfulness. Um, one we throw around a lot in, in kind of church life. And one that I realized, I think I had a, a false definition around it. Like the lies had actually creeped into my definition of that word. Maybe just talk for a second about what what is the meaning of that word, that phrase. No, I mean, I think it's part of God's character, right? Like he is, Jesus is the one who's faithful and true. And faithfulness means that he does what he says he's going to do. He follows through. He never changes. Um, he's He's true north. And I think that's what it means to be faithful. It means to stay the course. It means to be the same. It means to continue on. It means to to persevere. You know, and I think particularly when we're talking about the 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 work of of following the Lord, it's like staying with it mm. um, through the the difficulties and you know all, all the options that we have to to deviate from that and to go a different direction. Yeah, yeah, which is so different from faithfulness being i keep using this metaphor because i think it hits home for a lot of people like another item on my christian checklist yeah i gotta do i gotta be faithful i gotta i gotta try harder and it's on me i'm actually placing my trust in me instead of my trust in christ and um and so i i think that actually helps frame this idea of striving versus trusting that the faithfulness is like sticking with God in terms of like being in step with him versus striving is like, we have to be faithful to, to do these different things, putting the emphasis on us mm -hmm. subtle, but huge. Um, so I, I don't know where you want to start with this topic. Cause yeah. it, it does feel big, but <laughs> It is big, but I think it's rooted in um, God's character and his story. And so I'd like us to go back to the beginning of the story. And, you know, you'll find in the Iron Collective group, we'll spend a lot of time in the beginning of the story in Genesis because Genesis is a very important um, piece of literature for us as, as Christians because it's the found, it's part of the foundations of the faith. And, you know, it's it's part of the Pentateuch, the first five books that tell us the foundational things about um, who God is, what's true about the world, where we came from. It's our it's our origin story, mm -hmm. um, and it's pivotal to understand how God shows up relationally because God has never changed, and that's a really important concept to remember when we're reading the scriptures, especially these foundational things, is because there's a temptation to think like that's somewhere in ancient history, like that's nice that you know. But like, what if I just pause for a minute and say, like, God has, is exactly the same. So the way that he orients himself to people then is the same way he's going to orient himself to me now. And if we really pay attention, it's uh, it's profound. So if we go back to Genesis 2, um, it's a, a retelling of the creation account and it's poetry. Um, but 
the story that's told is that that God makes everything and he makes it intentionally. Um, and he pays attention to all the details and he makes things in a certain order. Like he creates the heavens and the earth and he, uh, makes land and then he, and then he, you know, he makes plants and vegetation and he makes animals. And in verse eight, he says, then, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the East and there he placed the man he had made. And I love, I love that line because he, he makes the wildness of all the creation, but then he plants a garden and I don't know what like imagery that evokes for you, but like, it's, it's not just the wildness of, of creating just the earth. It's like creating this very specific place for a very specific purpose. And I think about the, the gardens that I've been to that are, you know, manicured and, and, and things are planted in exactly precise locations and certain things are planted next to other things. And it's an image of this ultimate place of, of, of thriving. And it's in a very specific location. And I love this idea that God himself plants it. Hmm. It's not just something that happens. Mm -hmm. It's like he plants it and you go, well, why, like, why did God like make this garden? in this very specific place. And then the last part of the line tells us, and there he placed the man he had made. And there, there's so much beauty in this line because what we see is God's orientation to the very first man is great intentionality. And if we think about the question, like um, what did the man need when he was placed in the garden, like what was his concept of need? Mm -hmm. The answer is nothing. nothing. He needed nothing. In fact, he wasn't even aware that he had need. Yeah. He, he was just placed in this place with this creator that everything was, was provided. So this is where we get to the question, Steve faithfulness. So we see God is faithful from the very beginning is that he's trustworthy. He's true that he sees the man, that he knows the man, that he knows every need before the man knew he needed it, and he planned for it. Yeah. And he made a, made a provision for it before he placed him there. Yeah. Even as you're telling this story, I sense myself, like, you shift to looking at who God is. Like, it's, it's almost curious to me, given my church background, like, that you're talking about faithfulness as in God's faithfulness. Yeah. Not, whereas... My context of it is it's always about us. A lot of these words, discipleship, it's about me making disciples, not yeah. about me discipling to God. <laughs> like, right. it, it's like the focus, I just notice how that focus is first on God and then that like informs who we are. That's, um, that's a big difference there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll say too, I mean, I think we often look at Genesis 3 and I think even in, even in the church, like that's kind of the beginning of our story right. because, you know, it's an important one. Obviously we've yeah. referenced it here, but the reality is there are two chapters ahead of that where creation is just as, as God planned it. And you're talking about that right here, which is, mm -hmm. you know, he places man in this beautiful garden with every need met. Yes. I mean, that's a beautiful image prior to the fall, you know, where man went and uh, introduced brokenness into the world. Yes. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Where, 
where in the story do you locate yourself, right, is a big question because wherever that is tells you a ton about how you think about God and who you think you are. Yeah, so if you think right. your primary, prim, if your primary understanding of yourself is in chapter three, then you're like, I'm a sinner. Right. I'm in rebellion against God. I'm separated from him. And you're like, really? Like, man, that's unfortunate because that's not, that's not the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a great point that you bring mm -hmm. out, Ron. You know, I think if we keep looking at chapter, so if we go back and we say, well, it's it's not chapter three where we should locate our first identity. It's it's really chapter two. Um, and we say, well, like, if we think about this idea of faithfulness and like, how does God prove himself to be faithful? And like what, and here's the key question we look at in striving versus trusting mm -hmm. is what is our posture as we show up in the world? And yeah. that really there's only two, two choices that we can show up in a, um, a striving posture, which is where I have to scrape the earth for every one of my needs, which is really the image in chapter three, right? Which is I'm cast out of the garden. And that's actually what the text says. It says that work was toil, um, that the man had to scrape the earth and through his sweat and his blood, he had to, to make a way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so that's an image of I have to strive. It's my sweat. It's my work. I have to create everything. I have to create value. Um, or it's this image of trusting, which is really in chapter two, which is what we're looking at is, um, what if my posture is trusting in the world, then that has to do with my relational orientation. Mm -hmm. Either one of those is my relational orientation to God. But it has to do with, I think, men, the first thing we want to talk, talk about is our work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because work defines so much of our, of our life and our identity, and we spend so much time there. So I would just ask the question, you know, those listening today, it's like, when you think about your work, do you show up with a Genesis 3 posture to your work or Genesis 2? Do you, do you show up uh, as, a, as a trusting way of like, man, there's a God who's already provided everything that I ever needed? And I can trust in that yeah. and I can rest in that. Or is it Genesis three that I'm cast out and I have to, through the sweat of my brow, make a way. Yeah. Well, and there's also, I mean, I think the other layer to that is who's the hero of the story, mm. you know, because if you look at Genesis two um, and trusting yes. God's the hero of the story, That's he right. provides our needs. But if you look at Genesis three and you have that mentality of striving, mm -hmm. then I become the hero because I'm the one who did it, Yes, you know, and I did it through my sweat and my effort and God may or may not have been part of the equation, but it, it's me yes. and I made the way. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. Who is the hero of the story? Yeah. Man, that's such a great question. Yeah. Mm. It's almost like you could live there in this two versus three, Genesis two versus three land for a while. Mm -hmm. It got me thinking of the sin part of it. Like we tend to often focus on the sin management, sinning less, trying harder, doing better, sinning less. That's like what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Whereas Genesis two is more like the ultimate goal really is like enjoying life with God mm. and his awesomeness is the focus. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that too, myself shifting the focus in my prayer life and my just walk with God to more of that Genesis to like how awesome he is versus how bad I am. Um, when that's, you know, and we look at, if we, if we keep looking at Genesis two, there's so much to mind there. But I just want to hit yeah. a couple of things. And by the way, if like, if you have the ability to hit pause on this and go read, 
Genesis two and three, I think that'd be extremely beneficial. Um, there's so there's so much there. I like reading the New Living Translation, um, but whatever your whatever your version of the day is is fine. Um, so we because I want us to look at you know what can we trust God for, like and what because if we think about our work, if we think about like meeting our needs, and and this is getting really tangible, like. Sometimes I think we, we we put God in a bucket of we can trust him for spiritual things. I mean, we can trust him to get us to heaven. Right. Yeah. But what what we're presenting today is no, like the, the true story of the world says I can trust God for all of my needs today. And that if I can, then my posture should be a posture of trusting. I think that's huge because, again, it's one of those define the words moments yeah. of define trusting i think often when we say that we say trust god yeah what if you really dissect it what we're saying is um agree with the fact that jesus died on the cross for your sins and that's what we mean by the word trust god mm-hmm. and to your point there's actually so much more in there yeah it's worth like clicking into it and and defining it more that's right what what is what are we tr- yeah i like what, how you said it like trusting what <laughs> trusting what yeah well let's look at what is what is the story tell us you know um from the very beginning god first of all he gives us a place so he gives us a place for for thriving and this garden this beautiful place constructed for our thriving and that's god's intention in, in his heart um the second thing is Verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. What's he what's he providing there? He's providing purpose. And, you know, and that's I mean, let's just pause there for a second. Because I think so many of us think that it's our responsibility to find our purpose, to create our purpose. And, you know, that so much of life hinges on our ability to do that. And however well we do that that that's what we're worth mm-hmm. in the world right because that is what the world tells us um but that's not what genesis 2 says it says god created a purpose for the man before the man knew that he needed a purpose <laughs> and and there is this like beautiful like naivete um in this that like the man doesn't know he's just like shows up yeah and he has this beautiful home and he shows up and he has this purpose that's never ending, by the way. Like, because without sin, God intended for him to tend and watch over and cultivate this place forever and yeah. ever. This started to make more sense to me when we had our first kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, now I'm getting it more. I don't know. Um, it seemed to be kind of this image that maybe God gave me. But one day uh, I pictured like, I'm a billionaire. So already the story is going great. Yeah, right? I, like, I like this. This is a great. I'm a billionaire and my little, she's seven now. So I'll call it seven year old is getting ready to go to school. And she's like having a total meltdown, like really w- crying and f- freaking out. And, I, and I'm like, what is wrong? What's wrong, sweetie? I can't, I can't even get through to her. And then finally she calms down enough and says like, I lost my lunch money. Like, I won't be able to get lunch today because I lost my lunch money, mm-hmm. dad. And and here I am a billionaire. And it's like, in that moment, I just, 
I don't even have the words because I'm so shocked by like, no, you don't understand. Like your dad is a billionaire. Like I, here's five bucks. Like you're fine. You're fine. You're going to be fine. You will have lunch. But she's so worried and so stressed that she won't be able to get lunch that day. And how clear that picture was about us and God that he, he, he's got it. Like he owns everything. He has all resources in abundance. And here I am like stressing about some tiny thing today. But yet to us, we justify it and we we almost lean into the stress and worry because we're like, but that's but it is bad, but it is scary. And it's what we should do. And it, it's what we mm-hmm. should do. It's good to stress and worry now yeah. <laughs> in today's mm-hmm. culture. And, and yet, like how God must be looking at it, it's like, you don't understand. Like, I got you. I've got everything covered. Um, that, that really is like been impressed on me. That gets to this whole like abundance and scarcity mindset you know that i'd love for you steve to talk a little bit about oh man well i can quote gabe that's what i can do (laughs) but i think just you know even in that example like what stuck out to me is man we're we lost our five bucks and we're scraping you know pennies and quarters together to try and make five bucks instead of the abundance mindset of man Right, which is so weird to us, right? We're like, but I gotta, I gotta do some scraping and digging because that's I gotta do stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you do have to do stuff, but the doing stuff is like, just like sit down, shut up, and like actually receive what God has already offered, which is like all riches in heaven are yours. That was the promise. So like, take that in. And yeah, you said Gabe in our group one time that um, the what's cool in that passage as well is that you had the Adam and Eve pre-fall. They were like chilling. They were happy. Every didn't know the need. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything was just like so good. Uh, fulfillment, joy, all that stuff we're seeking. And then right after the fall, what changed that made them go run and hide and get the fig leaves like we talked about? And you said, I had never noticed this before. So cool. Like none of their resources changed. None of their surroundings changed, and God didn't change either. The only thing that changed was their view on it all, which shifted from like an abundance mindset to like immediately a scarcity mindset. We don't have enough. Run, hide, scrape, toil, strive. And um, and how that like the invitation then is to go back to that pre-fall world of like God hasn't changed Mm -hmm. circumstance. Like nothing has changed. His orientation towards us hasn't changed. We just started like doing the striving thing. Mm -hmm. So if we can rehearse the trusting thing, we can start to get more back to that pre-fall life. You actually invited us. I love the question. Like what, what would it feel like to live in that pre-fall garden? And I thought, for me reading through that passage that was a really cool reflection question to kind of sit there and picture it like yeah what would it actually feel like to have lived in that in that setting yeah as the ultimate goal so now instead of this puny little goal i had of like sinning less and trying harder i've got this like huge awesome goal of like getting back into that mindset of of the abundance in the garden and it's all really rooted in the question like who do you think god is and this is the central question of the scriptures right and this is what shifts Mm. um like their view of creation shifts their view of each other shifts 
Um, all that's true. But the really big thing that underpins all of that is what shifts is their view of God is that they go from seeing him and knowing him as an, as a all, all mm. generous, benevolent mm. father, yeah. um, who's with them and who's in Genesis two provided a beautiful place and provided purpose. We learn later in, in verse 18, you know, that he makes, he makes a helper for the man. He makes a woman. He knows the man needs community in mm-hmm. relationships. So he makes that too. Now, the man didn't say, I'm lonely, God. Mm-hmm. The man didn't say, I need a purpose, God. The man didn't say, I need a place, God. God provided it because he knew the man better than the man did. Yeah. And, and so this is the same God, to your point, Steve. He hasn't changed. Pre-Genesis 3, like, they believe all that, and they're just living out of that. But then when they stop believing that, they believe God's a miserly um, disciplinarian who's who's out to get them. Mm-hmm. And so they hide, and they run from him. And that's the story. That's the whole story of the Bible is people running from God and a God pursuing, right? And it's all about like how, like how we show up in the world, this question of is our posture trusting or striving? When it comes to our relationships, is our posture trusting or striving when it comes to our vocation, our, our work, mm-hmm. right? Um, when it comes to our money, is our posture, man, I have to figure it out. I've got yeah. to make a way. Or is it, man, I can trust God? All of that comes back to the central question. Who do you say that God is? Yeah. Can I give like a super on the ground example yeah, of that? Please. And I would love to hear if you guys have some, cause I've been st- wrestling with this and trying to like bring this into day-to-day living. One of the ways it's showed up the most often, and it's been so cool when it happens, I can't, I'm not like trying to take credit cause it's kind of like your example of 25% max of the time. But sometimes when I've been driving to work in the morning, this, this what we're talking about kind of hits me and i just start this prayer that goes something like and it's not just words it's actually trying to really posture myself like all right god i actually trust you today that you've got it covered that i'm good that i have nothing to worry about today i have nothing to stress about even with money because for me that'll be a big one or even with whatever circumstances are going on today and what's on the calendar like, I just trust that you got that you got it and I get to show up and be part of it. And that's kind of the prayer. And then I just try to kind of get in that posture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the word you use because yeah. it really is like try to just get in that posture. And I mean, those have definitely been some of the best days. Not that everything went right or perfect. It's just there was a peace about it. There was um, a more a more calm and and fulfillment about it. And I found that to be like one of the practical ways to shift the posture from striving to trusting. And I know there's probably a million different ways it might play out for people, but that's been one for me. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, I think one that I've found too is, um, really in the area of finances, Mm -hmm. which you mentioned. And, you know, obviously Jesus mentions a lot um, money and how that's tied to our heart. And I think it really gets at the heart of this, trusting versus striving. Um, And it's such a practical example um, that we we have every day, which is, you know, am I gonna trust, am I gonna be generous 
first and then trust that God will provide? Yes. Or am I going to hold on to what I have and then trust that I can, you know, pay or work my way out of it, um, out of my own means? Because it does require us to take <laughs> a first step um, and go, hey, I'm going to I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give um, and then trust that you're going to meet my needs as you promised. Uh, but oftentimes that's super hard, right? To, to live hard. in that way and be generous, not only with our, our treasure, but with our time, with our talent, um, being generous in all ways. But that's one of the best ways I feel like that we can, you know, show the world the love of Jesus. Oh man, absolutely. And, and incredibly practical and also very uh, countercultural. Yeah. Because <laughs> the world says, get yours. You know, yeah. take what you can while you can hustle, step over as many people as you have to, because if you don't, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not the story of the gospel at yeah. all. Yeah. Have there been any like practical, specific ways that that's played out for you? The posture shift. <laughs> oh, man. Continue, continue to play out. I mean, this is another one of those we were talking about while we were on break, you know, just um it's sometimes hard to teach these things because, I mean, I'm very much still a work in progress yeah. who, you know, messes this stuff, stuff up very regularly. But, you know, I think um, for, for me, I can, I can tend to overwork, um, you know, like definitely like workaholism is, is definitely always a danger for me. And if I like really probe, like, why is that? Like, why, why just like, Wait, work way too much to, to like my physical and relational detriment, you know, it's, it's really gets back to this conversation because it's like in those moments when I'm choosing to overdo it and overwork and take on too many things and whatever, it's really that deep down, I'm believing it's up to me. Mm -hmm. I've got to create my own world. Like I have to create significance for myself, for people around me. I mean, as, as we get older and we get more responsibility and we have kids and family and aging parents, I mean, this, the temptation actually gets bigger, not smaller, because you think not only do I have to strive for myself, but now I need to strive because it's up to me. Yeah. Like I have to do it. Right. And so I think that's a, a place that I'm really constantly tempted and I have to like, check myself and allow others around me to go like, uh, why are you doing all these things? And yeah, like when is enough enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, and, and when do you just like trust that God's going to do it and then pay attention to the boundaries? Cause Steve, to your point, it's not that we don't work or try like God, remember work came before Genesis three. Yeah. <laughs> God called work. Good. Mm-hmm. It was part of the purpose. Well, yeah. Work isn't bad. Like we're supposed to work. We're supposed to create. Did you know we're going to have work in the new heaven, new earth? Yeah. Like for eternity, we're going to have work to do, right? Because that's part of what's good. But when we make work this central thing that we, you know, is up to us, um, we destroy its its purpose and value and we destroy our, ourselves in that. And so I profoundly struggle with that. Yeah. I thought even for leaders in a group setting this is kind of like the mask one of those helpful areas where we can we can help each other and cover each other by pointing out like maybe you shared something ron and it it seems like a striving thing is i can be um an encouragement by sharing the true reality like the trusting side of the coin 
and vice versa. And I, I love that this happened actually on our break, just haphazardly. We were all joking about, yeah, how in marriage, this stuff, we, we said the phrase, like, I fail at this all the time. And it actually made me pause and go back to this definition of faithfulness we started with. I'm like, or is it not a failure? Because failure says failure is based on the idea that we had to like get it right and perform a hundred percent. If we're actually just continuing to like posture toward God and, and remember his truths, then even if we're not doing it right a hundred percent of the time, we're actually winning, not failing. The faithfulness is in the sticking with not the like getting it right all the time that's right and that little shift i think again is just like one of those subtle things that makes such a big difference in how we're relating to god yeah i'll say i mean i think you know so often i see it my my christian journey as a paper to be graded you know did i get an a a b a c or d um zero to a hundred where am i on the scale and in contrast you know it's the journey idea of man am i taking another step um, in the journey, am I taking a step closer to Jesus right now? Am I being faithful and walking with people and guiding someone as well on this journey with me instead of what score did I get? Because it's up to me. Yeah. You know? It's like one of the ways it shows up, we can help each other actually by listening for these phrases. When you hear someone say like, ah, I gotta, ah, oh, I should have. It's like those phrases actually really are revealing. Like as soon as you say like, ah, should have done, should have done more with that. Should have prayed more this week. It's like, wait, is that, is that actually trusting? Is that usually that's a sign of that striving posture? Yeah. When I'm, I'm grasping and not receiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.